is, as Jeff's going to be sharing with us, Lord, around communion and what it actually means to us. Father, I pray that your spirit would come and would work and would move incredibly upon us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Um, hi, Rebecca from Weinberg. Um, I just, like in worship, I just almost saw a picture of um, like all these mouths, which is weird, but <laughs> um, it almost felt like the Lord was asking like, um, like whose mouths will I use to actually share my gospel, to like take my words and share them? Will it be you? Will it be you? And it almost felt like this deep like call, like be my people that I will use. Be my people that I will use to be my mouths, my hands, my feet. Um, will it be yours? Will it be your mouths that I use to go and spread my news, my good news of my salvation, of my truth, of my baptism of fire, of all these things? Will it be your mouths? Um, and I felt like this, like it's almost like, like there's almost like this shaking awake, like I want to use you. I want to use you, but it's like almost like a stepping out. Um, yeah, he wants you to be the mouths that he use, uses. So, yeah. So who's going? Who's going to be speaking out to the Lord, about the Lord? I hope each one of us. Because you know what? Your voice might be the only voice that someone might hear. You know, in, in the Bible it speaks about, I think it was Jeremiah, who said, Lord asked him a question and said, Lord, he said, whom shall I send and who will go through? Isaiah, Isaiah, okay, Isaiah some, some prophet guy. And it said like, he, and, and the Lord asked him, who shall, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he said, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Send me, Lord. Are we willing to allow the Lord to send us? Are we open and are we willing to lay our lives down for the kingdom and kingdom? And amen. And amen. Thanks, guys. So, so I just want to say that, that Jeff has, he's been in ministry for, I think, longer than I've been alive. So um, <laughs> this man has got incredible wisdom. And uh, the battles that he's faced, the things that he's done, he's planted churches, he's led churches, and uh, he's a phenomenal guy. So open your hearts tonight and allow what Jeff wants to share to you become a part of who you are. Right. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Yaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we brought a whole clan with this evening. And uh, one family came with, and when that family comes, a congregation comes. Because they were very, very industrious. They took the commandment seriously and uh, went forth and multiplied. <laughs> so it's nice to have Colin and uh, Tanya and their clan. And Ingrid as well, who I'm trying to get over this morning. She's been in the congregation a month or more. Very rude this morning when I was trying to preach. I said, I said this, I, I ran once. What I meant to say, I once ran, but I ran once, and she said, only once? I'm mean, sitting in the front row, sitting in the front row. So it's a great privilege to be with you guys. I really mean that. We're going to break bread together. I love breaking bread because it highlights who Jesus is. So uh, we're going to break bread, but I want to talk about this amazing God that we serve.
And I trust that after tonight, you will, you will get a, a revelation of this wonderful, wonderful God, whose name is Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One. Christ is not Jesus' surname. Um, you know, people say, Jesus Christ, you know, who are you? Jesus Christ. No, he's Jesus. He's the Christ. And the Christ means he's the Anointed One. And people are anti the anointing. The Bible says they are anti-Christs. I'm way off track now, but this is for free. The Bible says they are anti-Christs, which means this. They are anti the anointing. They are anti. They'll take Jesus as a prophet. They'll take Jesus as a teacher. They'll take Jesus as a good man. They'll take Jesus as many things. But they struggle to take Jesus as the anointed one, the one who came from heaven and came to this planet and walked among us. That's the struggle. You go to any other religion, and Jesus is okay, as long as you don't call him God. And the anointed one means he's God. He came from heaven, miraculously. So I want to just share some thoughts with you. As I said, we're going to break bread. It's wonderful. I'm from Weinberg Congregation. I'm uh, whoop, whoop. And um, I preached there this morning. Lekker, we had a great time. And um, I'm with Ross Lahana. Ross has been here a couple of times. And um, Ross is younger than my youngest, but he's my pastor. And uh, I submit to him. Not easily, but I do. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Ross is an amazing pastor. He's an amazing guy. He's, uh, um, and welcome from Germany. Um, he's like the Energizer Bunny, um, Ross. And sometimes I have to say to him, listen, you must please respect my age. I uh, can't keep up with you. you. You just keep going, you keep going, keep going. So um, let's just pray. Come on, and we'll get into the Word. Father, thank you for the Word. Thank you for the Word that is alive and active. Thank you that it speaks of your Word as that double-edged sword, Lord, that cuts. goes right to the heart of issues. And tonight, Lord, as we look at the Word, Look at the wonder of who you are, Lord Jesus. You will stir our hearts again by your Spirit and stir us, Lord, into a, into a new realization, to a new revelation of who you are, Lord Jesus, and how magnificent you are so that our hearts will be touched and we will fall in love with you again because you're the only one, Lord, who is worth falling in love with in the way that you show us how. Lord, we just pray, come and visit us. Come and minister to us. Come and glorify your name here tonight, we ask you, Lord. Thank you, God. So um, I want you to, this young man, he's... Uh, was asking his dad, where's this guy? I need these scriptures. And I hope he hasn't got 100. I've got 98. So he's all right. He's my man. So I want you to put up 1 Timothy chapter 6, 11 to 16. Where are we going there? And I said to him before, and I'm quite quick. But he says, you man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Who's made a confession about Jesus in the front of many witnesses? Have you done that? You've acknowledged Jesus to be the Christ, the Lord. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, 
to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal. And here's the line. Who lives in unapproachable light. Now the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but Jesus lives in unapproachable light. So we have a problem. Because unapproachable, I looked it up in the Greek, it says unapproachable. No, I didn't look it up in the Greek. <laughs> I, teased, I teased Weinberg. I said I looked it up in the Greek. I said I looked up the word nothing, and in the Greek it says nothing. And people believe. They say, oh, you looked up in the Greek. I've got a strong concordance. I can look it up. You can get one. And when preachers say the Greek word, and people say, oh. It's very impressive. They've just got a big, thick, strong concordance, and they look up the Greek word. But if Jesus lives in unapproachable light, how do we access him? How do we access this God who lives in light that is unapproachable? We cannot approach it. We stymied. We struggled. No one, he says in 1 Timothy 6.16, he says, no one, um, um, no one has seen or can see God. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Now the Bible doesn't lie. So he's unapproachable. No one can see God. No one has seen God. But we know the good news. In, one, in John chapter 1 verse 18, young man, it says, No one has ever seen God. God the one and only. Or, but God the only begotten. But God the only begotten who's at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus came, he left the glory of heaven to visit the planet to make God known to us. And um, was it you? Was it you? You read that scripture. And when Jesus was, Jesus has become our high priest, I'll digress. Priests only operated in the temple for as long as they were lived. They were a temporary thing. Because priests die like you and me, we're going to die. Our days are numbered. Psalm 139, I think it's verse 17, says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came into being. God's got your number. My wife died five, nearly five years ago, and God gave me that verse. And I thought, well, that's right. I don't understand this, but God ordained that to happen. I don't know why yet. One day. I will know. Now I see through a glass darkly. I don't understand everything, but one day I'll see. And he says here, he says here, the only begotten who is at the Father's side has made him known. It says this in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You remember the disciples said, but, you know, show us the Father. You remember? I think it was Thomas. Well, Thomas gets a bad rap all the time, you know. Thomas, he doubted. But show, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now when you read the Old Testament, the Father seems like, hey, he takes no prisoners. I mean, let's be honest, he takes no prisoners. He told lots of kings, wipe him out, sort him out. Remember Saul? Samuel said to him, go and 
kill out all those animals, sort out that, the Philistines, whoever they were. And he came walking along, the priest Samuel, and he heard, he said, what's this bleating? And Saul said, well, I thought I'd keep some just to make sacrifice. And God had said, no, bro, you get rid of all of it. And Jesus comes and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The heart of God, Jesus revealed to humankind. Jesus came to reveal it. It says in 1 John 1, 1 to 2, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with God the Father, and has appeared to us. John's writing, and he says, God has appeared to us. We touched him. We saw him. We watched him. Can you imagine waking up in the morning if you're one of the 12 and saying to yourself, I wonder what's going to happen today. What is he going to do today? And that's how God wants us to understand him because Jesus has made him known. What Jesus does, he said, I only do what the Father tells me. I only do what the Father tells me to do. In Mark chapter 5, you must read that chapter. There's all sorts of miracles. And I thought, if that's in one day, imagine walking with him on one day. And he heals people and he speaks to people. I mean, and then he has that. He comes in, he says to them, guys, listen, I'm going away. <laughs> I'm going away. I'm paraphrasing. But it's going to be better for you that I go away. Jesus sacrificed himself in order that we would have it better than the people in the, Old, in the, New, in the New Testament. We've got it better. Say amen. amen. Oh, they're still alive. Hallelujah. Um, and, and, and we've got to understand that he said that it'll be better for you that I go away because the one I'll send is just like me. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And he said, when he comes, he won't just be with you. I can walk with Jacob, but when I leave here and I go to Cape Town, I leave Jacob behind. Can you say, no. Um, I was going to say, say amen. I won't say that. So, because he can only be in one place at one time. And Jesus could only be in one place at one time. And if Jesus comes back now, he's coming to Weinberg. <laughs> so you guys are going to struggle. Sorry for you. <laughs> come on. We're the southern tip brew. Sorry for you. And, and the thing is that it would be better because why? He, could, he wouldn't just be with us. He would be in us. And he becomes omnipresent. He is an omnipresent God. But for us as individuals, he becomes that life. He becomes the life of God in us, the spirit. And the Bible says that he quickens these old bodies. I'm just looking. There's a couple of you have got a bit of snow on top. Some of it's melted. Yeah, the peaks are showing. <laughs> but it's better for us that Jesus went away because he would send the Spirit. But he lives in this unapproachable light whom no one has seen. Or no one. But the mystery has been revealed. Nobody could fathom it. How are we going to see God? Now you've got to understand this. On the day he was crucified, the day he died, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And you know what happened? The Holy of Holies was exposed. Everybody could see into the Holy of Holies, that sacred place where only one man once a year could go in. 
There's a story. I don't know if it's true, but the story is that the high priest went in once a year and they tied a rope around his leg because he had a robe on with little bells. And if the bells stopped ringing, they realized the high priest would have done something wrong and God had struck him down. And nobody could go in to get him, so they had to drag him out by the rope. I don't know if it's a true story, but that's what they say. That's the, re the writings. It was a holy place. Now the temple curtain's torn. And you can look in. Because Jesus has made a new and living way for us to enter in. You see, our altar is not a man-made altar. Our altar is not a thing that man... Moses went up the mountain. God said to him, you build it according to what I told you on the mountain. How long was Moses up the mountain? Forty days to get a plan just to build the, the, the tabernacle. Moses, this is what you're going to do. Mega, mega important. According to the plan, everything was perfect. And there stood the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies behind this curtain. And Jesus dies and the curtain is torn. And, and story has it that the priests tried to sew up the curtain. But when Jesus, when the curtain was torn, every sacrifice, every ritual, every ceremony, everything that had to do with the law was declared obsolete. It was done with. Because Jesus became our sacrifice. This unapproachable, this, this one who lives in unapproachable light suddenly was accessible. This is what Paul writes to the Colossians, and he says this. He says in Colossians chapter 1, 26, 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. This is the mystery. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where's the altar now? It's in my heart. This is my altar. And I've got to prepare my altar very well when I come to him. It's not a ritual. It's not a ceremony. I don't have to go and find an old bull and slug it or a sheep or something and there's blood all over. Jesus is my sacrifice. Here's the amazing thing. On, on that day, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit fell, he bypassed all the laws, all the rituals, all the ceremonies, and he met them in a house. The temple was obsolete. Legalism, tradition, and religion are puffy things. They hinder us from connecting with the one who's come in the flesh and revealed God to us. We now have access. Jesus said, I no longer call you, call you, I call you my friends. I'm a friend of God. Through what? Because what Jesus did. I don't do as I deserve it. No, I don't deserve it. But he made a way for me. The Bible says he made a new and living way. The Bible says he went through the heavens. I don't know what that means. Like Superman. I don't know, through the heavens. But he made a new way. And I have access to him. Because the altar has been put on my heart. When I accept Christ as the Son of God, the man who became God, or the God who became man, who was a God-man, who lived among us and walked the planet perfectly. Jesus never asked anybody ever to pray for him. 
Jesus never had to apologize for anything he said. You know those words you speak and they leave your mouth and you think, if I could just catch them and put them back. It's too late. It's a, Jesus never apologized for anything he said. Everything he did was perfect. Think about it. Think about it. Everything he did, absolutely perfect. Everything he said, absolutely perfect. That's why he lives in unapproachable light. Because he's too holy. But he's made a way. He's made a way. And this is the mystery has been revealed. It's been exposed. The mystery is that Christ comes to live in us by the Spirit. Jesus doesn't leave the throne room in heaven. The Spirit of God comes to take up residence in us. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. You know what he's doing now? Praying for us. We... <laughs> Just think of that. Please get excited. I love this. Jesus is praying for you. Because he says, my world, brother, they need prayer. They are desperately in need of prayer. And he prays continually. He intercedes for us to the Father. He's our advocate. He's an advocate that has never lost a case. He pleads his case, our case, with the Father. And we come, he says, no, 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 he's ours. When did that happen? I don't know how the Father and Him communicate. It happened on this day. It happened for me on the 24th of October, 1974. I met Him. And the Father said, and Him, He said, Father, on the 24th of October, that night in Westway Bethel Baptist Church in Port Elizabeth, He acknowledged me. Okay, it's fine. Enter, my boy, come. Who's seen that clip that's doing the rounds? The guy that speaks about the thief on the cross. Have you seen it? I'll relate it to you. He said, he said, the thief on the cross gets into heaven. And the angel comes to him and says, how did you get here? He said, well, I don't know. He said, you, you were cursing the man five minutes ago, you and your friend. You were cursing the man. And now you're here. How did you get here? I don't know. He said, just, and it's just, he said, do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? He said, I've never heard of it. He said, you never went to church. No. You never did a Bible study. No. You never got baptized. No. He said, do, do you understand the doctrine of Scripture? Just blank. He said, how did you get here? He said, I don't know. He said, he said this is what he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. And the man on the middle cross said, you and I can come. Through what, what did we do? Nothing. He hung there, naked. People spat on him. Let me explain to you. The crosses weren't up there. The crosses were here. They hung here just, just at eye level. That's why they could pull his beard and spit on him and mock him. Ha! Ha! They mocked him, and he kept on saying, Father, forgive them. He didn't say that once. I was reading about it the other day. It was my reading. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They said when he got nailed, the, the cross gets put on the ground. It's not a cross like this. It's a T. That's how the cross was. But the world has made the cross this. This was a T. And it was here. And he hung here. When they, they put it on the ground, they nailed him to it. He said, Father, forgive them. And when people got crucified, they cursed and they swore. 
because they were criminals, uncouth, terrible, terrible people who deserved to die. And then they picked him up, the cross, and they shoved it into a hole. And that weight of his body with the nails holding him, and ah, the pain, Father, forgive them. And they spat in his face and pulled out his beard. Then they put the crown of thorns. Father, forgive them. This God, who lives in unapproachable light, died for us. And that's not a celebration. This is remembrance. We remember. We remember what he did for us. My friends, we must get excited about it. I, I'm so excited and thankful. I deserved nothing. They asked me how I got saved. I lived in George when we were driving out. We found out how they got saved. Amazing stories. I lived in George. I had uncles in Joburg who thought this wayward nephew needed help. They were right. And the minister, a Baptist minister, was transferred to George. So they went to see the Baptist minister. He was in Joburg somewhere. They said, listen, we've got a wayward nephew in George. It's not a big place. This is 1974. It's before the Rinderpest, before Google, before all sorts of things. You might just find him. I was in the short-term insurance world. I worked for a company called the AA Mutual. Guess what? The company I worked for insured that pastor's car. And guess what? I was the first person he met when he came to George outside the church. The guy that he was looking for, God said, there he is. He showed no expression of surprise. And I was talking to him. I remember it was the Reverend D.I.D. Waterson. I called him Did. Because he did it for me. And he became a pain for me. Because I was into the sports world. And the oak would come and watch me play cricket. One oak in the pavilion. There he is, the pastor. I think, go away. Leave, go away. <laughs> He'd leave little notes under my door. Missed you this morning. I thought maybe you'd come to church. I thought, just leave me. I'm having a crisis. Leave me. I'm married. I've got a baby. I'm happy. I'm living. Place hockey, there he sits. One spectator, there, there he sits. Because you know when you play sport, you get thirsty. And then you want to afterwards enjoy yourself. Here's the pastor. Hi, I'm there. just go on. He wanted to play squash. Do you play squash? I said, I'll play squash. I remember I hit him in the small of his back one day. with a, I nailed that thing. Not on purpose, not on purpose. And he just dropped to his knees in prayer, I think. And I felt so bad. He had this little red mark. But God had a plan, you see. God had a plan. I didn't want God, but God wanted me. God did, you didn't want God, but God wanted you. And this God who lives in unapproachable light was suddenly available. Went to church, first meeting, first meeting, my wife gets saved. She comes to the front here, she's crying. <laughs> I think I'm standing at the back thinking, you see now? This church, you come to church, Ali drama begun. That's the drama. There's snot and trana, now there's trouble. Now there's trouble. Now, now I'm in trouble. It's that night, she's sitting in the bath. I'm talking to her. She says to me, Lovey, you're going to go to hell. I said, you go to hell. I'm going to go. She was so zealous for God. God had changed her. This unapproachable God who'd made, been made approachable had ministered to her. She came from a twice-divorced mom, a, a shockingly discombobulated family. Good word, if you can remember it. Big word, big word for me. And the minute she met Jesus, it changed. She never had a dad. Suddenly this Father God was 
it was, she, she, was, she was quiet. She never said boo to a goose. My word, when she got saved, I thought, look at what's happened now. Just talk, talk, yak everywhere we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was telling the kids in the car. If, if we, she, we'd be on a trip, she'd say, hang on, hang on. There's this lady who lives in Blanco near George. I so with her sister-in-law, and she trying to commit suicide. We must go and visit. I said, we don't know her. No, no. God's just said we must go visit. Off we turn off the end we drive through Blanco. I have never been there. Find the woman. Hello. <laughs> that was my one. Because she met the God. And then six months later, I met him. And life was different because I saw the light. God came and he changed things for me. This Jesus is unique. He's, what time did I start? I always forget. Like a, huh? ten, ten, I've been going 10 minutes. You, you'll know. You looked at your watch. I saw you. Because he, he was doing this. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. okay. I must just watch the time. I'm, I'm bad. I'm, I'm, I say lastly and then I lost. So, you know, we're not going to go. Jesus is unique. He's amazing. He's credible. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. The first thing that Jesus is good at is doing the impossible. Jesus is good at doing the impossible. You've got an impossible situation. He can change it. If you've got an impossible situation, he can change it. It says this, that in Luke one thirty seven, Gabriel is talking to Mary about how she will conceive and tells her that Auntie Elizabeth, who was said to be barren, is, you got that? That's fine, leave it there. Who said to be barren, where am I? Is in her sixth month. Auntie Elizabeth's pregnant. Because nothing's impossible with God. The angel tells her, Mary goes to visit Auntie Elizabeth. And she says, I'm also pregnant. And something jumps in her. And the Spirit of God touches John the Baptist before he's even born. Your glory. This God who lives in unapproachable life, this God who's good at doing the impossible, touches a baby in the womb, baptizes him in the Spirit. In Luke 18, 27, Jesus is speaking to the rich young ruler who shows himself, you know, a bit full of himself. And Jesus says, okay. He said, I'll tell you what you do. Go sell all you have. And give it to the poor. And Thomas says, I doubt he'll do that. <laughs> and Peter says, I think I'm going to put together a seminar on how to give away your goods. That'll be a good preach. And the disciples say, look, how can you say that to him? It's just, what are you talking about? And Jesus said, it's, it's, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But nothing is impossible for God. Listen, God saved Yaku. Nothing's impossible for God. <laughs> Let's be honest. God saved this man. God saved you. God saved you. Nothing's impossible. And all of us were minding our own business, and he visited us. There's some other <laughs> miracles. They're all fishing stories. So I don't know if I should tell the stories in Amanus. Because, you know, we went fishing and we caught one and it was this big. But, you know, a fisherman exaggerate. 
There's the feeding of the 5,000. It says men besides women and children. Matthew 14, 13, Jesus replied. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And evening approached, the disciples came and said, this is a road place. It's, you know the story. And it says he, he did it to test them. What have, what have we got? We've got a little guy here. He's got five loaves and two fish. Well, that should feed them. Can you imagine Thomas? Huh? Are you out of your mind? Five little loaves and two fish. I wanted to know the mom of that little boy who went back with more than he went with because he picked up some of the, you know, the, the, thing, the scraps. He went home and he said, Mom, look, she said, where, where have you been? No, I went, geez, this guy, Jesus, he took my food. And what's all this? Well, he multiplied it. Now we've got more. Of this. Lovey, what have you done? Where have you been? It's like the little boy that went to Sunday school. His mom dropped him, picked him up after Sunday school, gets into the car, and she says, so what did you learn today? He said, Mom, there's this guy Moses, eh? And, and, and he's got this army of people that he's taking out of this country, and they come to this big sea. And they can't get across, and the enemy is chasing them. And so he calls the army engineers, and he says, guys, we need a bridge here to get everybody across. So the army engineers built this bridge. You know, they can build these bridges in double quick time. And the enemy's approaching. And he said, everybody went across. All the tanks and the trucks and everything went across. And when the enemy got onto the bridge, the demolishing guys, they blew up the bridge, and the enemy fell into water and drowned. She said, whew. She said, are you sure that's how your teacher told it? He said, Mom, if I tell you the story the way she told me, you'll never believe it. <laughs> you see, the God we serve is the God of the impossible. And then some skeptics say, yeah, the water was only six inches deep. I'd like to see a whole army drown in six inches of water. It's daft. No, the God we serve is him. He does the impossible well. He does the impossible. I won't do the fishing stories. There's too many. In 2 Corinthians 9, can you find that one? But this boy's doing great. Give him a hand. Eh? He's just wonderful, bro. I said, I said to him, I'm a difficult preacher because I haven't got three points in a poem. Eh? I'm here and I'm there and, you know. It says this, thanks be to God, listen to this, for his indescribable gift. <laughs> so how do you describe Jesus? You can't. He's indescribable. What is indescribable? I remember I was watching a program on TV once, and some of you are older, so you'll know. They put a mincing thing on a mincing machine. You know what a mincing machine is? Well, those, you'll know because, yeah. So you put meat in the top, and then you crank the little handle, and it minces it, and then it comes out a little thingy in front, or mince. And the mince you buy in pick and pay at the butcher, they used to use those things. So they put one of the, what's this? These youngsters. Yes, you know, they don't know. Looking at this thing, turn the handle. It's not, they couldn't describe what it was. That's not the indescribable that the word is talking about. Somebody could describe it. They said, no, you bunch of wallies. That thing is a mincer. What's a mincer? Let's show you how it works. Tighten it to the table, throw in a piece of meat. Ah, now it's not indescribable anymore because we understand how it works. The Jesus we serve is indescribable. And he's indescribable because, because 
in this context where you know that you have to describe the object is just so perfect, so magnificent, so beautiful, so appealing, so pure, so satisfying, just so stunning in its beauty, you can't describe it. That's indescribable. Listen to me. When you see him with your spiritual eyes, when you see him, you will never be the same again. Rebecca was telling us that the Lord visited her when she was a little girl, when she got saved. And she said, his eyes, his eyes. But they're indescribable. Jesus is indescribable. You can't describe him because of his perfection. People say, his beauty. No, no, Isaiah said, he had no beauty that we should look on him. Jesus wasn't Mr. Handsome, cool, suave. I was at, came to church, wow. All the young girls, he wasn't like that. He, nobody looked at Jesus. But they knew him because his heart was pure. They knew him because his heart was poor. We sing, you are beautiful beyond description. It's not his form or what he looked like or his beard was perfectly groomed and his hair was black as a raven's and it hung beautifully on his shoulders. No, it's not that. It was his heart. Indescribable. Most of us can describe our hearts. Most of us can describe what they were like. Most of us can describe what they're like now. But this Jesus who gave his life, indescribable beautiful. And he's come to us. Come on, say amen. amen. You're allowed to get excited, you know. This is church. I mean, come on, man. When the Springboks scored try, when they won the World Cup, when England beat the All Blacks, I was so, sorry, I was so happy. I was so happy because England played their final against the All Blacks and I knew we'd beat them. And then we drilled England and Cheslin Colby, I've watched that try a hundred times. Because it's in, no, it can be described. Because he just does the goose step, boop, inside, beats that England captain, whatever he is. And then they said, he scores a try. I get excited. I'm out my chair. Yeah, yeah, come on. Everybody, you hugging. You come to church. Look like I've been sucking lemons. You're serving the indescribable God who's opened your heart, who's given you life. We sit here like a bunch, like a lemon sucker society. You know, in my heart there grows a lemon tree. You know that? You remember? Sunday school song. What's the other song? Joy, 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 with joy, my heart is ringing, joy. That's how we'd sing it. It's as miserable as sin. Now my sins have been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I don't have to account for my sin. He's paid the price. It's indescribable. You can't describe it. It's too much. We're allowed to get excited. This Jesus that we serve. His power... Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 is incomparable. You can't compare it. There it is. And his incomparably great power for us to believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Next one. Is there another slide? No, there's not. All right. I'll read that. You're doing all right. It's me. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's, the power is like the working of his mighty strength in me. His power is incomparable. What does that mean? Well, you can't compare it. You know, you, have you ever watched the strongman competition? The ex drag around tires and big stones and think, what a waste of time. 
the world's strongest man. You know. Big, you know, they, they work out in the gym. And then they die when they're 38 because they've got so much steroid and rubbish in them they can't take it. The power of God is incomparable and it's not physical. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that raised him up, is in you. It's in me. This old 74-year-old frame gets quickened in the morning because it grunts and groans as it gets out of bed. And I think, glory to God, I'm a child of the King. This incomparable power is in me. I can do this. People said, Shabby, you're preaching again. I said, I'm, I don't care when I preach and where I preach and where I preach because the power of God is in me. Come on. You're too old. Oh, please. Too old. They said, you retired. I said, no, I've got retreaded. I didn't retire. I retread. I'm going. People said, what are you going to do? Your wife's now died. I said, I'm going to live. I've still got life. I must live. Ooh, you know, shame. What does she think? She doesn't think she's in heaven. She doesn't think of me once. She is so elated with this incomparable, unapproachable, glorious God that she, who am I? Who am I? She's forgotten long ago. Believe me. Because heaven, heaven is the ultimate. And I'm being prepared here. All the dramas and all the nonsense we have, we have lots of it. But I'm waiting. One day he'll come fetch me. His power is incomparable. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Nothing can compare. <laughs> you can, I can do everything through him. It's all right, there's been power failure in the back there. <laughs> I, I can do everything through Christ because he strengthens me. Now, now, what does that mean? I can go and pick up weights and be a he-man. and No, no, that's, no, no, no. I can do things for the kingdom of God because Christ strengthens me. Who finds it simple to walk up to people and chat to them and talk to them about Jesus? Who finds it easy? Good on you, bud. Good on you. Not many of us find, I don't find easy. Because what kicks in? I start thinking, what do they say? Leave me alone. I'm having a crisis. Just leave me alone. You, you. Because fear comes. But God gives us a power. A power, supernatural power to speak the word of God. And when you speak the word of God, his word in his mouth becomes as powerful as his word in your mouth. Or your, his word in our mouth becomes as powerful as his word in his And it's motivated. It's driven by the power of the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. I was in a supermarket the other day, and this little kid was, and young parents, listen to me. He was going off. I wanted to go and help the dad. <laughs> just, just help him. Just, I wanted to go to the dad and say this, sir. He's embarrassing you because you don't discipline him at home. And he knows he can get away with it at home. And here in front of people, he knows you're not going to do anything because your power has been restricted. You're a dad. You've got some authority. You've got power. If you do that again, bud, I'll knock the black off you, China. You know what I'm saying? 
Not ugly. Oh, now they're going to. That's the only thing you're going to hear tonight. Oh, he disciplined his kids. He was a horrible man. I, I did discipline my kids. I just got saved in that church in Westway Bethel Baptist, and they asked me to do a kid's story. Or the church, and all the little kids all come to the front. I had this packet, and I was pulling things out the packet, and I was getting to a shoe, because the shoe's got eyes, and a tongue, and a heel, and a sole. Ah, it was going to be clever. It was going to be brilliant. And I pulled out this clothes brush that's got a handle on, and I said, what's this for? And my daughter said, for hidings. <laughs> my, my story went down the tube. <laughs> People, oh, shame on you. Oh, shame on you. Speak to her today. She said, I remember it, Dad, and the hidings were good for me because I was impossible. Now, she's got a daughter who's now 13, and I phoned her on her 13th birthday, and I said, Bailey, are you going to be a difficult teenager? She said, Papa, I was a difficult baby. <laughs> Just like a mother. Chip off the old block. I said to her, Mom, you've got to watch her. This power, there's a power. I was on my, at my timeshare sitting there, and there's this guy with this little kid. And the kid is, is impossible. And this is what he, he keeps distracting him. No, no, look here, look here, do this, do that, do that. And I, it nearly came out my mouth. It cost. Distraction is not discipline. Stop it. If you do it again, he's going to be fearful of me. Now, God speaks to us. He said, if you do that again, if you do that again, he's a father. The Bible says he disciplines those he loves. He comes to you. We ignore the voice. That's power. And then, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing, you're still with me? You're breathing? You're still all right? As Andrew says, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Do you use that? I hope you don't. Please don't. His riches are unsearchable. John Paul Getty, nothing. Who's the oak with Microsoft? Bill Gates, nothing. The Wally with Tesla cars, what's his name? Nothing. His riches are searchable. Because they keep saying he's worth so much. The riches of God are not measured in terms of how much God has got. They're measured in terms of how much God is. They are unsearchable. They're unsearchable. You short of something, ask your father. Ask your father. When we were, first went into the ministry, I tease, I say we were so poor, we couldn't even pay attention. Because <laughs> it was difficult. I had a lovely job. I loved my job. I had four kids. God spoke to me when we had one child. And my wife said, not now. If only she had have listened, then it would have been so much easier but we had to wait for 13 years. Then we had four kids. Then God said, okay, now's the time. <laughs> but some wise man said to me, you've got to wait for your wife to hear the voice of God before you go into the ministry. Because God's riches are unsearchable. God calls, God equips, and God provides. I'll tell you a story. One day in the church that I planted in Musingberg, the Bay Community Church, people just got saved. There must have been 15 people. I invited them all home for lunch. My wife said, oh, you daft. We haven't got anything for lunch. I said, we just got to trust God. Just, I'm the man of faith. Glory to God. His riches are unsearchable. You know, we got home. We lived on a, a big piece of land up there in Meadow Ridge. Um, we got home. There were packets of food on our doorstep. 
cooked chickens, rolls, juice. And, you know, the people were coming. We took it all inside as if it's an everyday occurrence. I mean, this happens all the time, you know. <laughs> Who are we? Thank you, Jesus, so much. <laughs> we fed them. It was an amazing day because God's riches are unsearchable. I can't fathom them. I can't get to the bottom of them. They never run out. Grace never runs out. Mercy never runs out. Love never fails. This is the Jesus. That's the Jesus we serve. The one who gave his life, his riches. You need anything in life. Now, listen to me carefully. Psalm 37 verse 4. It's become my verse. They'll hear it in Weinberg all the time. The Bible says, you know, people say, God will give you the desires of your heart. No, he won't. No, he won't. If you delight yourself in him, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because what happens is when I delight in God, guess what happens? He gives me his desires for me. Because my desires are not what he wants. Because I don't have his mind for those things. I'm just selfish at best. And so are you. Don't look at me as if you are. I thought so. <laughs> We're all like that. Then I delight myself in him. And then he gives me the desires of my heart. My kids used to say, what are we going to do, Dad? I said, we must pray. And you know what? It taught my kids to pray. Are they poor? Are they bad or for that experience? No. No, it taught them a good Christian principle. God's riches, unsearchable. We, <laughs> we got given a dishwasher. Because we had lots of people. And I, was, I never broke down. I was good. My hands were chapped and there were blisters and my nails were... No, I'm joking. I used to wash the dishes. My wife and I, we had the system. I'd wash, blah, blah, blah. She said, because you don't know where to pack and I'd wash up. A couple came and said, didn't say anything. The next day, the truck arrived at this place. The guy knocks on the door and he says, Madam, I have a dishwasher for you. She said, no, no, you must have the wrong place. He said, no, madam, it's a surprise. <laughs> and it was. Somebody bought us a dishwasher. He said, where do we put this thing now? Because we didn't have really room. Called my plumber friend, old Dave. who's with Jesus now. He come in, look, he said, no, we'll fix it here. We'll put that pipe, this thing, that, out there. Well, hey, then we used to fight about who's packing the dishwasher. <laughs> but the riches of God are unsearchable. Anything. He said, you can ask me anything, anything in my name, and I'll do it for you. If it's his will, he'll do it. You're struggling financially? Don't say, ask God. He's the greatest by way of doing what those things called budgets. You'll find it's probably spent on pizzas, evenings out, weekends away, um, golf. <laughs> Bry. Look, I know the fun I'm having is his brother. I can phone him any day of the week. Say, yes, Jan, he said, just come, bro. We'll bry. <laughs> Just cumbry, we'll bry. Unsearchable doesn't mean that you cannot search for them. It just means that there's so much. You know, we've got to learn. This is, this exp I wish it was mine. I could claim it as mine because you wouldn't know where it comes from, but I'm humble. <laughs> I'm saying that because humility is the thing, my humility is the thing I'm most proud of. <laughs> But we, <laughs> we've got to learn to prospect in the hills of God. 
We've got to learn to prospect. A.W. Tozer, my favorite. You've got to learn to prospect. You know what prospect is? Search, dig. One of the programs other than sport I watch on TV is called Gold Rush. It's about these American rednecks that go into the Yukon, way up there near the flippin' North Pole in Canada, and they dig for gold. With all. It, it, They amaze me. And there's gold in the ground. There's gold. And God put it there. It's riches for them. And they want physical riches, but no, the riches of God. I come to him, Lord, I'm really struggling. I'll help you, my son. I'll help you, my daughter. The riches of God are unsearchable. It means when we, when we look, we never, you never find they come to an end. Last thing. You still with me? His love surpasses knowledge. <laughs> so you can't know it. How's that for one? His love surpasses knowledge. You put that up for me? What have we got? Ephesians 3.19. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. So if you're a bit doff, bro, <laughs> sorry. But you know what? It's not about intellect. I've stood at, at Cork Bay Harbour. I live in Musenberg area. I, I, walk to, I walk to Cork Bay. You wouldn't think so, but I do. And I go to the harbour when the boats come in. They change the blue of the sky to another blue. When they come in and things haven't gone their way. And Jesus chose men like that. He said, come, Peter, come. His love surpasses knowledge. Who would you have chosen to change the world? Jesus' 12 included this. A tax collector, Matthew. Fisherman, Peter, James, John. There was a zealot. What was his name? Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot was? The zealots hated the Romans. And they hated tax collectors because tax collectors sided with Romans. And zealots used to carry knives. So like it's going into a rough area of Cape Town, like near me, Lavender Hill. Lavender Hill. It's a beautiful name. Oh, bro. There's another story. I won't tell it. They used to carry knives in the folds of their garments. And if a Roman or a tax collector that was collecting taxes for the Romans wandered into their territory, Nachbrud, end of story, they cut his throat, pull a knife, do it. Jesus chose him, chose a tax collector, chose fishermen. And what was the other lot? There's another one. Hey? Oh, no, Dr. Luke, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I remember when I first got saved, one of the ladies in our office, I just got saved, I was so excited, and I'd learnt that Luke wrote the book of Acts. I'm so proud of myself. And they brought out a, a raffle. Who wrote the book of Acts? I knew, Luke. Some like one or two put Paul. I said, no, that's wrong. They said, no, I said, it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I learnt that. I know I lost the raffle. I didn't get my money. But, but Jesus chose those 12. And this is what I want to say. His love surpasses knowledge. How can he choose a zealot and a tax collector? The zealot's going to kill Matthew. Just give him a chance. But Jesus saw their hearts. Who watched that thing after we won the World Cup called Chasing the Sun? Who, you know that thing on the whole World Cup? 
And Rasi Rasmus spoke about Makazola Mampipi, who's a Khosa, and Retetis Khosa. You see, he can speak Khosa. And he said to him, this is what he was talking about, the, the, the photos on their jersey, they had pictures of family. And Rasi started crying. And he said he only had one picture. It was himself. He didn't have family. And he said, but he's got a big heart. He's got a big heart. And Jesus chose you because he saw your heart and the possibilities that exist in you for his kingdom. He didn't choose you because you were, he said to the Jews, I said, I didn't choose you because you were the more numerous. You were the least of all. But I chose you because I chose you. That's all. Why did he choose me? Because I'm good looking. Well, I would have hoped, you know. Nah. You know, good physique. You Oaks all want to laugh now, but, but you don't want to because it's rude. No, my physique. Look, round is also a shape. I, I go to my cardiologist. He said, what, what's this? I said, this is my corporation. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's Kidwell and Company. I said, this keeps me company. I've worked on it for many years. And then he takes my blood pressure and my sugar and the heartbeat and all that because I've got four stents. In my heart, I had a heart attack. My Indian friend said, hey, man, did your heart attack you? <laughs> and everything runs according to plan. And then the guy said, no, you must get rid of it. Why? Eli was a priest. Eli was a big, heavy man, the Bible says. I'm a priest. I'm a big, heavy man. You might be a small, light man. That's your problem. That's not my problem. His love surpasses knowledge. He looks, he doesn't look at the, the outward. You remember when, who was choosing David? Samuel. And he went through. And he said, no, God doesn't choose. He looks at the heart. And God's love surpasses knowledge. That's why he chooses men and women like us. That's the Jesus we serve. Bless you. He does the impossible. He's indescribable. His power is incomparable. His riches are unsearchable. His love surpasses knowledge. And if that's not enough, he says, now to him, in Ephesians 3.20, my young friend there is almost asleep but still awake. <laughs> now to him who is able, listen to this, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is working us, to him be glory in the church to him. That's what we come to celebrate. We remember. Jesus said, as often as you do this, you must remember me. And that's where I get my identity. My identity is at the cross. The young people asked me, can you imagine, the youth, even Adassa was pleased that I came to give my testimony. I said this, I said this. When I was 25 years old, I got born again. They wanted to hear the story before. I said, no, before that I was dead. I was dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. You don't want to know that part. I was dead. You ever spoken to a dead person? I have. They don't answer. They just lie there because they're dead. I was dead in my transgressions and my sin. I was dead. And then Jesus woke me up. He said to me, listen, there's a plan for your life. I'm coming to give you a plan. If you follow it, you'll know life in all its fullness. John 10, 10. That's what Jesus came to do. Hallelujah. Yes. 
Hallelujah. I get excited, man. You're allowed to get excited. And the wonderful thing is this. He never changes. It's always the same. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if a bad night, it's okay. If I wake up in the morning, I'm feeling sick, and I don't read my Bible, he doesn't say, well, that's you, Brew. Off the list. Scratch you out. Now he comes to help me. Comes to support me. An old lady in the church, she said, I'm feeling terrible. I never prayed this morning. I, thought, oh, I said, you've got big troubles. You are in sin. No, don't say that. Don't. I said, he's your father, for goodness sake. Wake up. You've been forgiven. That's not to say every morning you wake up feeling like an old whatever and you don't pray. But some mornings, especially if you've got little babies, I always say to pregnant ladies, fill the reserve tank now. Because when you have your baby, you're going to run out and you have to switch to reserve. Some of you don't know what a reserve tank is. In the old days, motor cars had a reserve tank. You could fill up both tanks. You could drive from here to Joburg. No stops. Just go and switch to the new tank and off you go. We need to have that in us because Jesus has put it there for us to enable us. So we're going to come to the table. What I want you to do, can I do this? Um, I love this. You go for it. I want you to split into comms. Well, look excited, for goodness sake. <laughs> and you're saying, oh, no, not again on a Sunday night as well. <laughs> and if you're a visitor and you're not in a comm, I want you to come and break bread with me. How's that? If you're in a comm, now you oaks because you're such a big family. <laughs> I'm teasing you. <laughs> if you're a visitor, come break bread with me. But the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. It said, on the night that he was betrayed, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he said, Jesus took bread and he broke it. Now it's always a loaf because we, we one body. Now we use, what do we use? Little crackers. Okay. Crackers. They got yeast in. No, that's the law. Don't worry if it's got yeast. Who cares? Who cares? The law's gone. It wasn't allowed to have yeast. <gasps> because Jesus said this, the Pharisees, they like leaven. You know what the Pharisees were? Legalistic bigots. You can't do this, you can't do that. Somebody said to me the other day, there were laws that... The, the, the Sabbath, you know, you shall you know, keep the Sabbath day holy. Not work, keep the Sabbath day. There were a thousand extra laws the Pharisees put onto that commandment. So it ended up you could do nothing on a Sunday. I mean, you just, if you got out of bed, it was almost a sin. Legalism. It's puffy, it's ugly, it kills the church. Tradition, legalism, religion. No, we're not religious. We're Christians. We have a relationship with Jesus. You can work on that. He's waiting. He took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup after supper saying, this is the new covenant. The new covenant in my blood. Drink it and eat it. Refreshes your soul. And as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. We're the only faith in the world that have a thing like this and celebrate his death. Because Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He's alive. If you're a Catholic, I'm not apologizing, but the stations in the Catholic churches end with Jesus on the cross. Jesus is not on the cross. They put him in a tomb, and death 
couldn't keep him. Because his power is incomparable. And there was an earthquake. And he owns it like a And the Bible says they fell like dead men. And an angel sat on the stone. And he said, hey guys, don't look for the living amongst the dead. He's risen just like he said he would. That's what we come to celebrate. So quickly into your com groups. If you're a visitor, I'm here with Yako and Kim. And what I'd like you to do is get a cup, get a piece, and then keep it in your comms. Take, take. Don't worry now. We're going to mess it all up. It's going to be messy, but that's lovely. This is the church. Joy and love and peace and love. 
for a wonderful evening, Lord. Father, we thank you that we can worship and we can praise you because you are King. You are our King. You are our Lord and you are faithful. And we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.